Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am talking with the design theorist, educator, and writer, Jessica Barnes. Jessica is currently an associate professor in the School of Visual Communication Design at Kent State University and has published articles in design and culture, visual communication, dialectic, and visual language. Her current research centers around interactive environments and sound, critical practices, and design discourse and criticism. I was obviously very intrigued by that last one and was really excited to talk to her about that. But in addition to design criticism, we also talk about her own background and how she moved from being a practicing designer for many years to becoming a teacher and focusing on design theory. We talk about her teaching work and and the types of classes that she's teaching. And we also talk about critical design. And Jessica does a really great job, I thought, of breaking down the differences between critical design, critical making, and design research, which I just found really helpful and fascinating as those are all topics that come up on the podcast a lot and to kind of really break those down and define those I thought was really helpful. This is a a fun one and one that I think that you will enjoy quite a bit. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter with additional content and episode previews. Memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just uh, really appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Jessica Barnes. I know you primarily as kind of a a design educator, a theorist, a, a writer, and so as I was researching you and thinking about this conversation, I realized that you, it seems like you had a kind of whole career before that is actually being a practicing designer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of want to start with with that a little bit. Where'd your interest in design come from? Or, or how did you kind of get started as a designer? <laughs> um So that there's, there's a story there. Um, okay, it goes it goes back pretty far. Perfect. Um, so as a kid, I liked I was I was usually drawing or writing something. Mm-hmm. I just liked making books, and I made books all the time. Um, so bookmaking is sort of my first introduction to that sort of designerly, illustration-based, you know, message-making thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think probably the first thing I made was, I think I was seven. I know this only because my mother wrote the date on one of these books that I made oh, as nice. a kid. And... Um, it was called If a Bloody Nose. It was four pages long. The craft was terrible. It was stapled together on like notebook paper and there was red marker and blood like everywhere. Yeah. But this instruction wow. book on what to do if you had a bloody nose. It, was, it must have been useful to someone. I'm sure maybe my, maybe my brother had a bloody <laughs> nose at the time or some, someone did. Um, but that's sort of my memories of, you know, making things as a kid was, was stuff like that. In high school, though, uh, my interest went more toward like math and science. Mm. And I was somehow my, my brain just liked those things. Uh, I really enjoyed even the visual aspects of those things. So um, visual formulas, visual uh, diagrams, oh, kind yeah. of thinking and visual things, they really tied together for me. And the art program at my high school was not very strong. So um that making piece, that kind of designing stuff just wasn't coming out of me. And um, at, at some point in high school, in my, one of my art classes, uh, we got a Macintosh computer. Mm. It was, okay, this was a while ago. Okay, as you can imagine, <laughs> yeah. quite some time ago. And we had this program called Photoshop. And uh, it was this was before Photoshop had layers or undo or right. anything. I mean, you really couldn't do much with it. But I started playing around with that, and I realized there was something about technology and image making that I just loved. And um, I went into, ended up going into uh, graphic design for like a bachelor's degree. So when I started college, I was in an art department with a graphic design emphasis okay. at the uh, University of Northern Iowa, which so, was in Cedar Falls, Iowa. This is actually really, it's kind of funny to me because I, I, I was very similar as a kid. Yeah. Um, I grew up. Uh, from a very young age, just like you, making books. Uh, uh-huh. I, drew, I drew maps a lot. I, oh, cool. Um, 
I would go kind of grocery shopping with my parents and I, I remember asking them like very young age why the two on one sign looked different than the two on another sign <laughs> yeah. um and then i would like go home you know as as i got, as i got older and, and we got a computer i would go home and try to recreate the signs from memory using um uh uh it was a microsoft print shop deluxe <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh and and uh-huh. you know would try to like recreate these these signs and but i never like that was my whole childhood was was just playing around with that stuff but i never knew similar to you i think that that was a job or that graphic design was a thing until i got to high school and kind of all of these things came together and i realized that this was a could be a profession what was that moment like for you or where did you kind of find Mm. that this stuff that you were always interested in was called graphic design or that, that, <laughs> that you could be a graphic designer? As a kid, and even like in high school, I really had no clue what that was. Mm. I wasn't aware of anything happening within the discipline or the profession. Um, I had a couple of distant cousins that were, um, this kind of goes back another couple of decades actually, but they, they worked as like commercial artists, oh, wow. like graphic okay. artists yeah. and actually use that title. I did a uh, hand on media Lots of illustration-based, you know, wet media, things like that. And um, so I knew that that you could be a person making these awesome visual things and you could do it for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was in my mind. However, I really couldn't draw very well. I still can't. Like, yeah. that is not my forte. I just yeah, don't Yeah, same. Do Me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm better with writing than drawing when it comes down to it. Um, my sketches are terrible. Um, okay, that makes me feel a lot better yeah, about myself, yeah, actually. Awful. I mean, I'm yeah, I was better with um, you know, uh, clay or watercolor or, oh, or things like that, but just not like I'm just not a. My students might be listening to this, thinking, "Oh my, she's making a straw." <laughs> yeah. You know. Um. Uh. But then uh, when I went on a college visit, again, I went to um Northern Iowa, and uh, I kind of knew I was interested in in art or making things, and I also knew that I liked science, I liked technology and math a lot. Mm-hmm. And I ended up on a college visit with the um, Department of Art there. And my mother brought me to school to, to mm-hmm. visit with a professor. And unknown to me at the time, the professor I was talking to um, was a contributing editor for Print Magazine. Okay. And that was uh, Roy Behrens. Mm. And I remember sitting down with him in his office. I think I must have, I was a high school senior. And saying, you know, I really like making things. I like also the very... Um, you know, sort of math, uh, ob- objective parts to this. And I'm really not sure what, what that means. And he's like, well, you've come to the right place. You know, like, and he's yeah, kind yeah. of explaining graphic design as being this um, way of making visual messages, but there's a kind of a, a concreteness to it as well. It's mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's about expression, but it's also about the, um, the needs of a problem or it's typographic. And suddenly all these words were coming out that um, I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to try that. That sounds really cool. And I ended up doing that as an undergrad. So when you were when you were in school, then what was that? Did it all click for you? Did you kind of realize pretty quickly that yeah, this actually is the thing that I've always been doing. This is the thing that I really like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, um, I think, because I, I liked making books as a kid, I kind of I really gravitated toward publication design mm-hmm. and typography. Uh, illustration as well. But this, while I was taking those classes, I was also taking courses in uh, painting, printmaking, papermaking, oh. because this was part of an art program. So we had classes in design and also in other areas. Um, and it, it did click. You know, I realized uh, I also enjoyed writing quite a bit. And I also enjoyed mm-hmm. learning about things outside of design. So I did, um, I did a, a bachelor's degree. I didn't have a minor at the time. But I had taken enough classes outside of art and design to probably have a couple minors. Okay. And those things really started to feed what I was thinking about when I was designing something, um, other ways of looking at the world. I took a lot of classes in, uh, this is crazy, like Russian literature. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Um, I was really drawn to that. I took classes in um, anthropology. Oh, interesting. I took, um, gosh, what else? I think there were some other like uh, communication studies based courses in there as well. Lots of art history, lots of like ancient art history. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of saw design as being a way that I could be 
creating things, creating these messages, but at the same time having these other interests right. that I could design with that content. And you were you were aware of that while you were in school? Because I feel like I'm, I'm definitely the same way. And, and the longer I've worked as a designer, I've realized that the thing I like about design, as much as I <laughs> love typography and can talk about typography and grids for days, the thing that I really <laughs> like is how it can be this way to understand things that aren't design. Uh, and I think I didn't know that when I was in school, even though I was all of my projects in undergrad were, were basically ways for me to kind of explore the, the other things I was interested in. I didn't realize that until years later. You, but you knew that. You kind of saw that connection right away. I did. And I think it's because I, had, I was in an environment where I had to take courses outside of my major. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it's a public university. So uh, you, you had um, required courses outside of your yeah. major, of course. Yeah. But um, I think... Also, because I had so many electives I could take, I thought, well, my gosh, there was, there was a course I took on, like, um, archaeology in Indiana Jones, fake archaeology. I'm like, yeah. this is fantastic. So that's the kind of stuff that was holding my attention. And at the same time, I was uh, studying publication design, typography, illustration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and about that time, some of the newer software coming out, and this was, like, back in the day where, like, Flash was a brand new thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as soon as I discovered that, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is exactly what I want to be doing. Um, you know, I want to be looking at how to make things move on screen and make them clickable. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. at this point, there were such few web standards for designing websites right. that yeah. you could just start looking at the websites that design studios were coming out with. And, um, you know, you were lucky, A, if your browser could open it, right. right? because every browser, you had to have a different version of your website for each browser. Um, but as soon as I kind of saw that, okay, I could learn this code or I could learn this software, I could learn how to animate something. It's like, kind of like, you know, sparks coming out of my brain. It was like, Mm -hmm. this is so cool. This is what I want to be doing. So I, um, I actually stayed at UNI for another couple of years to do an MA. Right Um, away, right after your. I just went right into it. Yeah. I realized that I wanted, I wanted more time to explore this stuff. Um, these things that were at, at the time, again, this was like the mid nineties, um, sorry, sorry, like mid to late nineties, yeah. uh, discovering this stuff that was at the time very new and very exciting. And I felt I want to get some more of that under, under, my, under my belt before looking for a job. I just wanted to have that experience. Um, and at the, you know, because you know, whenever a brand new technology comes out, there's not always a course that covers it. You, know, you kind of have to explore that on your own. So doing that MA, um, it was like a four semester program. It was heavily based on just studio time mm, and okay. theory classes and analysis classes. So it gave me an opportunity to just explore those things. And for my uh, thesis exhibition, I did an environment that was like sound, video, interaction, oh, wow. printed stuff. It was so much fun. Like I would go into this, I had this whole section of the gallery um, on campus and I would just actually go into that space and just sit on the floor and just kind of soak it all up. I'm like, oh, this that's is amazing. So exciting. And I like kind of missed that space. Yeah. <laughs> it was small, but I'm like, this is this is all mine. I made this. Yeah. Um and after that happened, I kind of briefly um actually I spent about eight weeks living on the West Coast just okay. to sort of um I don't know. I had opportunity to sublet from some friends in the Bay Area. I thought, okay, I'll go do that. Um and I ended up moving back to the Midwest. And um, I moved to Chicago, okay. thinking, okay, I'm going to get my portfolio out in the world. It's going to be fantastic. And um, I had a few um, interviews lined up. And I had I'd one design firm in particular wanted to interview me to do like, experimental motion work. And I'm super excited. About, I'm like, all like, you know, deliriously excited about this. And after about two days, um, kind of preparing for these interviews and, and doing things, um, 9-11 happened. And it just, everything just kind of shut down. Yeah. And I know everyone kind of has a different story about what they were doing and um, where they were going at that time. But I was literally at home preparing for my interview wow. when the news was showing that. And come to find out, a lot of the firms that I was, that wanted to interview me, I was, they were interested in my work, also had New York offices that were... Mm course you know affected by this Mm -hmm. and um so everything just kind of stopped and got quiet and 
I'm thinking, okay, no one knows what's going to happen. I'm living downtown Chicago and, uh, you know, the, the L's not running. Right. Government buildings are not operating. Um, that was kind of this uh, moment of, okay, what's going to happen? I didn't really know. So I actually started working in retail okay. and it, it just, you know, I you know, need to do something and yeah. I worked in retail and that led to, um, my boyfriend saw an ad in the paper <laughs> about five months later. He's like, you should totally like interview me at this place. And it was for a company called paper source. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, ended up, um, long story short, working there for the better part of a decade as one of the product designers at, um, corporate headquarters in Chicago. It total turn of events. I wasn't doing anything with um, motion or interaction. Or yeah, anything. Yeah. I was designing paper products and, uh, doing doing work with um basically any paper uh production process you can imagine was something that i was on the team designing for mm-hmm. so letterpress engraving die cutting laser cutting um fabrication were you know the company made its own paper and yeah. defined its yeah. own color palette all of these things uh, at the same time i was doing retail merchandising to some extent um mm-hmm. service design uh production, you know, actually figuring out how to produce the stuff we were making. Um, Because at the time, there were about eight stores, and it was a privately owned company, and now they're well over 100. They're they're public at this point. So it's, uh, the company grew really fast after a while. Um, So that was the the practice-based career that I was coming out of. And it (laughs) and and so and so you were there i'm sorry to cut you off um you were there for almost 10 years and then went back to school yeah again so (laughs) yeah tell me about that like why what what was going on why did you want to do that that's what people were asking me at the time like why do you want to do that what would what would you do this for why do you want to go back to school um i think i reached a point uh with with my career in my life where i decided that there was something something i hadn't had yet to discover, I think, about me and about uh, the profession. And I wasn't necessarily interested in, um, like, graphic or communication design or even design in general. I was looking at uh, programs in urban design. I looked at library science. I was looking at, um, like, graphic design programs as well. So I was still thinking quite broadly, and I think that's part of the practice I was coming out of Mm -hmm. was very broad. I mean, I did some graphic design work while I was at paper source, but not, um, there was so much more like behind the scenes stuff that we did that it was like, you could not think broadly about this. And, uh, this kind of coincided with about the time that my boss, who was the owner of the company, Sue Lindstrom, right about the time she sold the company was around the time I sent out my MFA program applications. Okay. <laughs> so it was like, I could kind of sense a, a change um, in the way the company was going. But I was also, for me, this is just uh, my feeling on things, I was tired of making and designing things that were beautiful. Yeah. Or things that, um, yeah. things that always looked just right. And I realized that's what people want. But yeah. for me, that's not what I was interested in making. And I think if you look at any of the current work I'm doing now, it's not really about um, aesthetics as much. But I wanted to do something else with it. I wanted to do more research. I wanted to figure out um, how design systems work in other ways. So that led me to an MFA program. And uh, I went to, I ended up applying to uh, the College of Design at the University of Minnesota in the Twin Cities. Yep. And started there in 2009. This is a theme that comes up on the podcast a lot. And I don't know. It's something I think about a lot. And I I wonder if it comes up on the podcast because I project my own story onto (laughs) onto (laughs) other people's stories. But this, Uh this, this, this theme of designers working for a while and then kind of getting whether it's getting bored getting (laughs) restless this this sense that like making things that look good isn't all there Mm -hmm. is uh comes up again and again and i i definitely felt that i mean i worked for six years before i went back to school and it Uh was the same thing it was like is all I'm supposed to do is just kind of do this kind of decorating? Is it just to like make this stuff look good? Is that really all this is? And so I, 
I guess the question that I'm I'm trying to get to, or, or the, the, mm-hmm. what this is leading to, is did you did you have a sense that maybe, and I guess you did because you were you were looking at things like library science or, or urban planning. Mm-hmm. Did you think that maybe graphic design wasn't the thing for you, or <laughs> like you know what I mean, or like why? Yeah. What yeah. was it about graphic design that you kept coming back to anyway? That's a that's a really great question. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel I feel like it's sort of a um, a boomerang sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, even before I did my bachelor's degree, I was looking at, I mean, I was looking at engineering oh, programs. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it it must just be me. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about something about message making and communication that I think is something I always come back to, mm-hmm. and the idea that I can be making something mm-hmm. and studying something. Mm-hmm. I mean. It, uh, I guess I don't, I also don't think of myself really as a graphic designer, oh, maybe yeah. more of just, maybe more designer broadly or communication. Right, 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 I, don't right. I don't really don't know. I don't think about the labels in that, that's such a specific way. Yeah. Um, but I do think that at this point, um, in my life and when I was, uh, deciding to pursue an MFA, it had sort of become part of my DNA. Right. It was just in the way that I think. And I think a lot of that had to do with the, um, the teachers I had mm-hmm. in undergrad, for sure, and then the people I worked with, you know, professionally uh, before pursuing uh, the MFA, and it also had to do with um, the program itself mm. at the University of Minnesota. So the the program I did, um, the MFA program, is just MFA in design, and oh, it includes areas of um, the the program itself. The greater program um, includes um, like it's graphic design, apparel design, retail merchandising, housing, um, apparel. Mm-hmm. I think I said that. Uh, so it was also a very broadly geared program. That's interesting. So, yeah. So I was studying design uh, with other graduate students from these other areas. But my emphasis area was in graphic design and interaction design. And what were you what were you wanting to get out of that experience? Or what was that kind of... <laughs> You know, what what did you see yourself doing after that? Or how did you see that, you know, changing your career? Uh, I went specifically to pursue, I mean, research and practice. And I knew that eventually I wanted to, to be working as faculty. Okay. Well, how'd that come in? Had you taught before? Like why... <laughs> I, yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes, and I want to apologize to the students that I taught the first. Yeah. Okay. The first time. <laughs> Actually, after I um, finished my MA, this was back in like mm-hmm. 2001. Um, I taught a May term course at a, a small, like liberal arts college near Cedar Falls, and it was like a three week intro oh, okay. to communication design class. I'd never taught before. Um, I don't think I was. I was terrible at it. Like I, I thought I don't ever want to teach again. This is yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah, I hate yeah. this. And, you know, part of the problem was that I was literally a, a year older than some of my right, students. Right. It was just an awkward, weird time. And so I put that off for quite quite a, a long time. And um, the I guess the, the pull to go back to school to do that, number one, had to do with I knew I wanted to be doing some combination of research and practice, and that seemed like a great way to do that, mm-hmm that I could be teaching, educating, I could be doing creative work, and I could also be continually, maybe not continually, but always being able to dig into something else right. and research something and bring it into my work. And, and honestly, the, uh, I will give some credit to um, a friend of mine who is a printmaking professor um, at UNI, Aaron Wilson, who, you know, I was talking to him, at, uh, this was like in 2008, 2009, about a career change. And he's like, why don't you go back for your MFA and teach? Yeah. And it was just someone saying that to me. And I thought, oh, I, I could do that. Maybe that's what I'm going to yeah. do. Yeah. And things just kind of started to fall into place. Um, so at the in my graduate program at the University of Minnesota, um, I taught a course every semester I was there. So by the time I was done with that program, I had taught six Right. studio classes solo right and so you do by doing that you do learn whether or not you like to do it number one and you learn how to do it and each each semester gets better um but yeah i just i had gone back because i knew i wanted um to do something besides or in addition to just uh practice yeah uh, professional practice and it was some a way that i could dig into things uh i could take by going to um a university of that size, I also knew that I could pursue 
um, sort of these tangential areas. Right. Uh, the program required so many credits outside of design. And I actually used that as a way to um, do a minor. They had graduate minors school. So uh, it all kind of just fell into place. I realized, okay, this is academia. These are things I can do while I'm here. And part of that also came from my thesis advisor, uh, Stephen McCarthy, who uh, I met before I actually even uh, uh, applied to the program and uh, kind of learned as we would talk and, and, you know, meet about whether it was a project we're working on together or in class or something, talking about how uh, practice and research Mm -hmm. and teaching can all sort of be intertwined. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. I I love that you said that because that that literally sets up the next kind of series of questions that I had <laughs> for okay. you. And I kind of wanted to to kind of pull back a little bit and talk about this a little bit in a little bit of a larger sense because exactly what you just said is something was a is something that I kind of want to go a little deeper on. Is this this idea of kind of practice and research and teaching and how those all fit together and kind of can be kind of separate things, but also can kind of be one thing. And I, I, what I'm struck by in your background and in the way that you talk about all these things is this kind of uh, kind of fluidity of definitions and that, that, <laughs> that, that a designer can be more than just a, a decorator, you know, in a, in a, I'm, I'm oversimplifying <laughs> yeah. that, but that all of, these things, yeah. all of these things can kind of fit together under one thing. Uh, yeah. And that's something that's very interesting to me and I think is why I went to grad school also was because I had all of these separate interests and they didn't feel like they were connecting for me. They felt like separate interests and I really wanted them as one. And I'm curious how you think about that both in your own work but just you know, as d- in design in general, how uh-huh. these things can really kind of fit together and, and start to influence each other. Yeah, they do all intertwine and there is a fluidity to it. It's also very messy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't yeah. think it's easy to put things into categories. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Do you have an, do we have time for another little backstory? Yeah, of <laughs> course. It just influence kind of how I think about things. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so my, my second year of grad school, I think it was like the fall semester, um, like three things kind of happened that I think actually informed the way I do all of this stuff now. Mm. Um, I was taking a class that um, Stephen McCarthy taught called the Design Studio, which is all about um, it's like research and practice brought together under this uh, the theories of design authorship. Hmm. So you're making and creating your own your own work. Uh, at the same time, I was taking a course in a writing studies program on mashups and pop culture, <laughs> and it was taught by a rhetoric professor. Okay. So at the same time, I'm getting all the critical theory and uh, pop culture stuff and we're deconstructing videos and music and all these things. Also at the same time I was working um, as a a designer with an architecture firm in Minneapolis. Okay. (laughs) Um, That uh, actually quite, it was, um, it was owned by uh, architecture faculty that were also practicing. So I actually saw as I was on my daily basis, I could see, practice and research informing each other um, in the profession. So they're very, very messy things. And and when my students ask me, you know, how do I, how, how do I separate these things? How do I, you know, and this is getting into like just separation of process when they're working yeah. on a project. Yeah. I say, well, you can't, it's messy. And it's okay, you have to accept the messiness because all of these things will constantly intertwine. Yeah. Um, in my own work, I, I do a lot of, I do, predominantly writing uh, currently, but I've worked mm-hmm. in sound, mm-hmm. I work in visuals, I work in motion, interaction. And to me, it's all about message making, whatever form that might take. So mm-hmm. not being tied to a single mode or a single type of media, mm-hmm. to me has been really helpful because it's allowed me to explore kind of any topic I want to be exploring. Yeah, And that's the kind of thing yeah. I bring into my classroom um, is this idea that you're not dealing with just visual or just written that you can do, um, you know, audio based stuff, for example. This is a question that I've been asking every teacher that I've talked to 
mm-hmm. recently uh as i my my practice has teaching has become a bigger and bigger part of my practice over the last couple of years and i i realized uh-huh. a couple of months ago about a year ago or so that the classroom is the place where all of these things really come together in a in a very clear way where it is design like visual design and making mm-hmm. it is writing it is research it is criticism it is theory like <laughs> all of the things that i like about design really overlap and come together in the clearest way inside the classroom and i'm curious about kind of because i feel like you're similar and that you kind of have these really wide interests um what's that classroom like do those really start to overlap (laughs) for you there like that they do they do they definitely do um depending on the class i mean some depending on what i'm teaching um some of them may be more focused on one specific kind of design like for example i teach motion design Mm -hmm. which is much more focused on like animation kinetics things like that um the upper level classes I teach and the graduate courses I teach, they do get much more, much messier in terms of, you know, how do I, how do you balance the, the research and the practice? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, and it, I think it's, it's difficult for students to un- understand that it isn't always this clear cut thing. Right. Yeah. That it's not always like, oh, I do my research in this, in this category and then I make something, you know, there's, they go back and forth and back and forth and some students really understand that well and some really struggle with it. Mm-hmm. There's also um, understanding how, to what depth you should be researching something. Right. Um, is it, <laughs> uh, you know, on one hand, there's just, there's visual research or the, um, the, you know, gathering uh, color palettes, inspirational images, um, textures, patterns, things that you like. There's also the research that gets into interviewing other humans and or conducting surveys or just right. going out into the world and watching people behave in certain environments. And uh, those are all different kinds of research that designers do. And they all have different outcomes and no two projects are the same. Uh, there's a course I teach uh, at, in our graduate program that's... Um, it's actually a, a summer course. I'm going to be teaching it next week. Oh, nice! <laughs> but yeah, this is this is very timely. Um, where it's it's called critical practices in design research, mm-hmm. and there are readings and discussions interspersed with the act of making as a way to understand those things. And hmm. it, you know, it, it's a course that's set up so that you're writing while you're also making something, and you're you're referencing. Uh, critical theory or um, literature outside of our discipline to inform your work. And it, I think it really challenges students to think about what they're making yeah. and why and to be able to write it. And a lot of my students um, dislike writing, <laughs> you know, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. seems to be a thing, you know, uh, and uh, so it, it takes practice to write and to be comfortable writing. And again, it's just, you know, short form drafts, some mm-hmm. short essays, and just over drafts and discussion and rebuilding, eventually the um, the making and the writing start to kind of come together and they, they kind of feed off one another. I have two questions. I'm going to give them both. I'm going to set both of them up now and then we can kind of parse them out however okay. you want. Because uh, I want to talk a little bit about, about this idea of critical practices and I also want to talk a little bit about writing. Um, so let's start with the critical practices one because you started mm-hmm. t- t- talking about that first. Because uh, I yeah. noticed that uh, in a couple of places in, when I was preparing for this, that, that you're very interested in critical practices within graphic design. And I would love, yeah. I don't know if I have a question other than that I would love for you to kind of talk about what that means and what that looks like. Again, it's a topic mm-hmm. that comes up on the podcast often. And I think especially in my experience in talking with students about kind of critical design, uh, especially, it often devolves into uh, a, a style again and and yeah. as as like uh <laughs> you know critical critical design or, or something is, is design that looks a certain way and I'm, I, <laughs> I would love for you to just kind of like parse that out a little bit or kind of talk about yeah. what that means for you or how you the language you put around that mm-hmm. sure um so a few years ago um I met one of my 
current collaborators, um, Amy Papalius in, uh, at a very small, um, mm-hmm. modern languages conference in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We met in a, like a dimly lit hallway <laughs> and, <laughs> um, we started talking about, um, critical making was one of the things we started talking about. Mm. And, um, that kind of led to this, uh, editorial project. We did, uh, we guest edited an issue of visible language journal around that topic of oh, critical right. making with yeah. design and digital humanities, because we saw that graphic design and the humanities had so many overlaps, especially mm. when you're looking at, um, writing and text typography, uh, data visualizations, um, prototyping yeah. in general, Just, there were all these crossovers. And so that project, um, was informing like my, my research, my personal scholarly research, in that I could be creating these works that investigated like theories or phenomena or technologies. And it was it was critical in that I was interrogating something through the making process and I was writing at the same time. Right. Um, I was also coming out of an MFA program where design authorship and critical design were like were things that were always discussed and always kind of being practiced. And um Okay, so fast forward recently, um, my longtime collaborator, uh, Stephen McCarthy, and I were di- did a, a presentation at a design incubation colloquium here at Kent State, and uh, we titled it Critical Practices as a Form of Design Scholarship. Mm. And in that, we, we sort of set this up that critical practices is sort of like a group of things, right? So you have design authorship, um, critical making, and critical design. So even by breaking it up into three parts, you start to kind of move away from a stylistic thing. And they're just ways of thinking, ways of working. Um, Each one's a little bit different, you know, but I don't think any, I don't speak for myself here, but um, you can't separate one from the other. They all sort of feed into one another. But, you know, one is about um, initiating and being entrepreneurial. You know, that's probably Mm -hmm. design authorship. You're taking Mm -hmm. the lead on these projects. Uh, Critical making is the way I define it, the way I explain this to my students, is undertaking a project in order to understand something else better or to interpret something. And um, it can be a phenomenon you observe. It can be a theory you want to better understand. It could be a technology. And a lot of it's technologically focused if you go into other other scholars working in uh, critical making. Mm -hmm. It often is technologically focused in some way. And critical design, as you mentioned, is... um, you know, I think of it in terms of, you know, Anthony Dunn and Fiona Raby. Yeah, um, it's yeah. like futuristic and there is this aesthetic associated with it, but it doesn't need to be associated with it. Right. It can, you know, stylistically, any of these areas of critical practice can be anything. Um, they don't have to be beautiful. They don't have to be futuristic. It's just it's making as uh, as part of being a uh, critically thinking designer. I love that. I, I really like the way that you broke that down. Actually, I think that makes a lot of sense to kind of separate them out into those subcategories but then you know with the realization that they all are influencing each other oh yeah they, to... they definitely intertwine i don't think you can completely take one out of the group and leave the other two feeling okay you know they yeah. all sort of mix and match and in the, the class i teach this is how i present it to the students and these are mostly mfa students okay um possibly some undergrads too and um we look at this, these things and think about them and you know, discuss not so much, you know, which category do you belong to, but sort of how does a certain project, what's the approach you want to take and what do you want to get out of it? I guess this is mostly grad students, but you said there are undergraduate <laughs> students. What, how do the undergraduate students kind of take to this? And the reason I ask that is that I've found... I, I teach both graduate and undergraduate students also, and I and the graduate mm-hmm. students are much more uh, interested and open to this idea. And this is a broad generalization. I don't mean this as everyone, but I I sometimes sense a little more resistance with undergraduate students mm-hmm. in thinking about this because a lot of them just want to make stuff that looks cool. You know <laughs> yes. what I mean? <laughs> totally, definitely. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of been my experience as okay. well. Although okay. I, it, you know, it's um, I guess it brings up a you know diversity of thought yeah. in a way. I think mm-hmm. there are um, designers and design students who who are focused on style, and there are other students and designers who um, 
are interested in digging deeper and are more interested in design research. And uh, here in our program at Kent State, um, design research is is part of almost every single course we teach. We have undergraduate courses in design research. We have MA courses and MFA courses. So in some ways, the students are early in their programs. They're exposed to um, research methods for design. So that kind of immediately takes them out of thinking about style and making it look awesome and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and instead kind of thinking about okay what's the, the the what's the what's underneath that right how how do you know what you know <laughs> when you're right right yeah, yeah and i think um in terms of this critical practices class the mfa students and ma students tend to be more prepared for it just in that they've decided to go to graduate school right yeah. you know, you're going to be exposed to all these different things the undergraduates have um it's a little more of a leap. I think that it forces them to get out of their comfort zone with, right. I can make this look amazing. And if, if it, you know, if it can communicate what I want, yeah. then it's perfect. And um, it's, it's actually, I think, letting them also know it's okay to not be thinking about your um, your portfolio right. for every yeah. single yeah. project. Because it's a huge stress. Yeah, I talked to my undergraduates in particular because, you know, they're, they want to finish their their undergraduate degree and they're going to have a portfolio and they're going to go out in the job market. Right. And so that, that is like the first thing on their minds. So I think you have to kind of create a, um, create a classroom environment where they're allowed to experiment and it's okay. And then with those experiments, you know, you can kind of also help guide them toward later on figuring out how that sits in the portfolio and what's the context for it. Right. Yeah. I love that. It's showing that it's not, not everything has to be this perfect, finished, polished thing, but it's okay to show how you're thinking and right. the research going into it and just sort of how you're how you know what you know. I want to come back to uh, to writing a little bit because you've mm-hmm. you've mentioned that a couple of times. It was part of your your MFA. You talked yeah. about how students sometimes are resistant to it. <laughs> I also have a deep interest in writing. I spend a lot of my time writing lately um uh-huh. I, i'm I, i'm very fascinated by the kind of intersections or the relationships between design and writing and how those practices can be similar and how they're different and i'm curious what your mm-hmm. experience with that is like both you know in your own writing but then also uh-huh. kind of when you're talking about it with students yeah um so i wasn't always comfortable with writing <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. is this is kind of a new-ish thing okay fairly recent well recently in in comparison I guess um so when I was a practicing professional designer I really didn't didn't do a whole lot of writing right. like long form writing of any kind I was always reading of course and I was on occasion I might write like marketing copy <laughs> you know yeah. or proposal copy right. or yeah, yeah. you know things like that um so when I got into graduate school I realized okay I'm gonna have to figure this out I need <laughs> I need to be able to write mm-hmm. and so um I mentioned I did a, a minor in writing studies and rhetoric, which right. um, kicked my butt uh, for a semester. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was in classes with students who were getting their you know, PhDs in writing studies, or they were, um, they've been writing throughout their entire college careers. And I felt like, I'm failing at this. I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, my professor, I had a talk with him after <laughs> class one day, and I said, you know, I'm really struggling with this. I, don't, I know there's a connection between, you know, mashups and uh, pop culture and design and writing. I just I can't figure out what this is. And yeah. um, this is uh, Professor uh, John Logie at Minnesota. And he, he looked at me, he said, my wife is a graphic designer. So I kind of get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, this was, it was great because I think he, he kind of understood in, in some ways, maybe not entirely, but that I was struggling with this. Right. And so for that whole t- entire semester, um, I was learning how to write an argument you know, learning how to persuasively argue a point and provide evidence for it. And this was done like on a weekly basis. It was like drilling this into my head. Yeah. So by the time I left graduate school, um, writing was easier. It was a lot easier. I really liked doing it. Um, as faculty, uh, I struggled with it a little bit because there's, a, for me, kind of a battle sometimes between publishing written work mm-hmm. and 
exhibiting or presenting creative work. Right. And I wasn't always sure how those things came together. And there was one point where I was writing more than I was making stuff. And it was a strange feeling like I'm neglecting that yeah. making, designing part of my brain. Yeah. And it wasn't being true to myself. And it was just this kind of internal uh, conflict. And um, I was expressing this to my mentor from undergraduate school, uh, Roy Behrens, and said, you know, how, do, how have you done this your whole career? He's, he's published prolifically. And I wonder, how, how yeah. do you separate the two things? And he just said it so simply. And this has stuck with me. And I tell my students this, we're designing with words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and thinking about that, I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm designing with words. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly it, it became easier. And so when my students are writing things, that's kind of how I present this. It's, um, you know, writing can be a collage. You're right. cutting, yep. you're pasting, you're yep. putting a new material, you're borrowing. Um, sorry, citing, not borrowing, <laughs> citing and referencing <laughs> right. yeah. uh, <laughs> appropriately. But that it doesn't have to be this um, a blank page. You can take little notes yeah. and then stitch those notes together into bigger ideas. There are um, frameworks you can use to kind of structure your arguments. And I, I say the word argument and they kind of look, the students look at me like, we're not arguing. Why should we be arguing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, but I think there's a you have to you have to relate writing and design in a way that that makes sense. And for me, that's the sort of uh, cut and paste, yep. little by little drafts, lots of drafts. Nothing is perfect the first time. Um, yeah. But that's sort of how how I tie the two together. This is something that I've I've never thought of until you were talking about this right now so this I, I don't know if I'm gonna agree with what I'm about to say but I kind of just want to <laughs> put it out there and just see if it, it if it works everything you're talking about it, it feels very similar to my own experience especially when I first started grad school and so much of my work was writing based and I I just like wanted to make stuff again because uh -huh. uh, I felt like so much of the stuff I was doing was writing and I, I realized that I often thought of writing as just uh, kind of, you know, making an argument or just, you know, getting an idea out into to words. Mm -hmm. And the thing that made writing more interesting, I, and I always loved writing, but made it more interesting, made it connect to my design work, is actually the thing that I was feeling frustrated with in design. And it was that kind of visual layer. It was the form making part. Ah, yeah, and, yeah. and it's actually the style, the rhythm, the form of <laughs> writing that was this kind of revelation to me of, oh, this is a type of design also. And I've been, I've, I've spent all my time thinking about the idea and what I'm trying to say, but not actually how I want to say it. Uh, and so it was like that thing with design that I almost felt like was easy and boring was actually the hard part <laughs> in writing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, definitely when you talk about style and writing, that's, yeah. um, and it, it thinks that's something that maybe I take for granted in design is that, okay, I kind of know what maybe my style is visually, right? but my writing style, I don't know. It depends yeah. on what I'm writing. Yeah. Uh, I also found it helpful with sort of, um, the the things I was studying um, in my writing writing studies and rhetoric classes was the sort of the expansion of the concept of writing as well. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you can write with sound, right? You can write with visuals. You can write with um, media. Generally speaking, is so malleable in a way that you can create messages all these different ways. Um, their idea of writing with sound is something. I guess maybe that we're doing that now. Maybe we're writing yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the idea that it's not it's not as concrete or as um, there's I guess there's a lot of freedom in it with the form that it takes. Mm -hmm. um, like my students that have trouble writing, oftentimes what I'll ask them to do is to dictate their thoughts. Mm, yeah. Um, for example, like in Google Docs, you can like voice record and, and right. Docs will type for you. And that's a way for them to kind of get ideas out of their head and then go in like it's a collage and start cutting, right. yeah. pasting, filling in the gaps. And um, everyone writes differently. It's it's difficult, I think, to teach one way to write something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you think of it as an expanded, the expansion of writing, whether it's spatial um, sound-based, visual, 
or it's you know Microsoft Word, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. you decide to use, um, there are different ways to get those ideas out of your head and onto a paper or a screen or something. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I have I have a couple kind of just quick questions. These are questions that I ask everybody to kind of wrap up the the conversation. But I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you one other question before I get to those because this question will set those questions up. Uh, <laughs> because on your website you have listed <laughs> under current research. Um, Something to the effect of design discourse and criticism in the public sphere or something like that. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Design discourse. I just pulled your website up. Design discourse (laughs) and criticism in the public sphere, which is very related to the questions that this podcast is trying to ask, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm... I kind of want to set up these final questions with you talking about what that research is like for you or what what your interest around that is. Yeah, so that's that's actually my current work. Okay. Um, it's it's very current within the past few years. Um, so what I've what I've noticed with my students, this is what kind of where it started. Um, I noticed my students would be mm-hmm. looking at like design websites, design blogs, mm-hmm. and they'd be reading articles on them, and they they'd say, "Oh yeah, that that's great, that's so cool." They'd, they'd love what was they were reading or what they were looking at, mm-hmm. and then they would, um, you know, share it or tweet it. Mm-hmm. Then they'd kind of like shut the screen. And right. <laughs> I'm looking at them like, what are you doing? Like, what? And I'm trying to make sense of this. And I'm realize- I realized that um, this is kind of going back into like, you know, early 2000s and the 90s, this idea of um, commentary yeah. online yeah, yeah, yeah. is, uh, it's fading. It's fading quickly. And the more I started looking into this, uh, I was looking at it in terms of like related literature. Again, I'm doing that, doing my lit review. <laughs> and yeah. I'm also um, looking at like existing um, examples of this. And um, mm. so I started looking at blogs. I started using the Internet Archive to look back on things and um, studying kind of where these conversations are happening. I mean, if you look back a few decades now, um, which is wacky. <laughs> Um, yeah. magazines like Emigre, right, yeah. had letter, letters to the editor. Yeah. That was the space that you could write, write to Emigre and you could, you could voice your opinion on something and possibly in the next issue, there might be a response back. You know, there right. might be that dialogue that happens. And, um, eventually that gave way to design blogs, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, they kind of like speak up, yep. um, Design Observer, yep. and these were things I was looking at, you know, as a practicing designer too. And the blog commentary yep. was like yeah, yeah, yeah. it was crazy. It was all over the place, and there were these these great like bits of wisdom or insight, or there was ranting, there was rudeness. You know, there was like yeah. every everything yeah. was in there, and then it just kind of died. <laughs> I feel like it just sort of like stopped. Yeah. And um, so I I set up this uh, study where I looked at, um, actually I had, I had kind of figured out, okay, these are sort of the models or the platforms where this like online uh, discourse was happening. And I chose to look at um, Design Observer, Speak Up, and um, iMagazine's blog. Mm, yeah. And I, I won't go into the nitty gritty details of it, but I essentially extracted like six, wor- six weeks worth of blog posts for each of those blogs for each year over the lifetime hmm. of their existence. And um, what I found was, you know, kind of what I expected, but it was really strange to see it, like actually, <laughs> actually yeah. infographic this out. Um, there was, you know, this peak of um, online commentary and discourse and conversation. And then it just, at all three platforms, it just kind of dropped. And granted, I mean, Speak Up, you know, ended yeah. its time. Yeah. Um, Design Observer is still going and iMagazine is still going. But the thing that they all had in common was that once other social media platforms yeah, I, ramp up, that stuff went down. Yeah, that's and where I thought this was going. <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just, it's weird. You know? And um, if you look at some of the comments on those uh, websites, sort of in the era of Twitter, you know, the comments even change. Yep. They start to become things like, great job, really enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's great for the person who wrote the article, but it doesn't put anything out there as far as um, conversation. And even if you trace some of those um, 
links being shared on you know, Facebook or Twitter or um, wherever, and I'm, I'm looking only at public forms. Even those kind of, even those things are being they're being shared and they're being liked, but we're not always discussing them. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, going back to the, the students that I saw looking at the stuff, and then it's kind of like. It, from my perception, kind of dismissing it, I'm like, well, you know, you could argue those points. You yeah. could argue what that article's telling you. You could agree with it. You could add something to it. And I suppose this gets kind of into, um, you know, instruction of writing in design. But, you know, and one, on one hand, I'm kind of looking at it like, well, where are those discussions happening? Are they happening? We're having one. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> this was a call-in show. <laughs> right. Hey, so like, ask us more questions. Um, and I'm wondering if, you know, these, these, uh, smaller conversations are probably happening in private circles. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Slack, I know they're happening there. Um, they're happening in, um, private email, you know, email threads, but at the same time, I kind of ask broadly, this is kind of one of my research questions, like what's, what's happening to our, um, our public yeah. critical discourse and conversations. And this kind of gets into my own concerns with like archiving and preservation and how do we find this information in the future? Yeah. You can go on internet archive and look at tons of stuff and it's all sitting there, mm-hmm. whether or not it's existing currently on a website today, but you can go back and you can see, you know, who said what and who's referring to what and what was the big, um, the big, uh, topic yeah, of that yeah. that day or that month, um, there are some platforms where um, you can kind of see a spike when when there when there are big international events. Mm. Um, you know, just in those conversations surrounding it. And so, one of the questions I'm kind of asking as I'm researching this is, where are those conversations happening? Is it okay that they're not? You know, one one media platform perhaps kills the one that came before it. Right. You know, right. we just keep on progressing into something different. And I don't want to say what's good or what's bad. I'm, I don't. I can judge it personally, but I don't want to like judge it professionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't say this is a bad thing, uh, but I do wonder where we're going with it, and if it's going to be okay. If it's gonna, would it would it hurt us, you know, to not have that kind of commentary, or is it going to take another form? We just haven't really figured out what that is yet. I. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I I waited till the end to ask you this because I could talk about this for so long because this is this is all the things I think about and 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 really was kind of the the origins of this podcast in a lot of way. It started as a as my MFA thesis project because I felt like there wasn't there was some sort of lack of design criticism or lack of design discourse. And what I quickly realized, I've talked about this with other people on on the podcast before is that it wasn't that there was necessarily a lack or that people weren't interested in talking about it, but that, that it's had all moved to Twitter and had all moved (laughs) to 140 character critiques. And that, that, and that I, I kind of, uh, discovered design in the early 2000s because of Speak Up and Design Observer. And so I have a fondness for the blog format mm-hmm. and the, the comment format and that that do- just really doesn't exist anymore. And that this podcast is some sort of kind of meager attempt to have some sort of long form <laughs> discussion or something that goes a little bit deeper than than that. And so everything you're saying is stuff that that completely I'm like, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we could just go on and on about that. Because uh, I, I, I think I think you're doing really interesting work. I think what you're talking about is is exactly right. I think you're doing I think this this podcast is fantastic, by the way. Oh, I mean, I've, I've looked I at did not say that to set it up for a compliment. It's, but. it's okay. It's, it's, <laughs> but really, as, as I'm looking at this stuff, I have been looking at podcasts as well. Because mm-hmm. these are, you know, these are like, since living conversations, right, they're going to be archived. They're available to the public. This is adding to the discourse. And so, you know, maybe this is, um, maybe it's not Twitter, maybe it's podcasts, you know, but the, I I don't know. (laughs) It it is frustrating though, to, to be looking at these blogs that, and podcasts to me are sort of set up a little bit like blogs in that they're, you're archiving things by episode or by date and you've got, um, potentially keywords or notes attached to them. So you can kind of go back in to an archive, whether it's on um, Design Observer um, or whether it's, you know, scratching the surface and you can see who said what and when and what they talked about. Um, 
when you get into something like Twitter, which really, I mean, it's, it's actually opened up a lot of possibilities as well yeah. because you, you can literally converse with anybody. Um, but there is a sort of a, 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 a memory involved, memory, uh, based task involved with like, right. you know, following a hashtag or remembering right. who said what, or, you know, archiving tweets or digging things up in a very different kind of way. I think, um, something about that scale of information that can make it more difficult. Yeah. So I don't know if, um, that's a path that, um, we continue on. And I say we, cause it's kind of everybody, you know, right. it's not even yeah, just yeah. But I think about it in terms of design because of, um, I think the importance of design criticism and design conversations. And, uh, this kind of gets into like uh, a little bit of uh, Foucault and, um, you know, the critical yeah. theory, but yeah. you know, the public, the public that, um, provides its own discourse and provides its own conversations is taking care of itself. You know, it, it, uh, it's what gives us a community identity. Mm-hmm. It helps, it keeps those conversations kind of, uh, visible. Right. Right. And I think with yeah. design right now, there are so many different facets of design and labels that we give things. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're a graphic designer or you're an interaction designer or user experience or you're a, um, a theorist or a historian. Yeah. Um, in some ways we're all connected by that thread of design. And, um, right. those are just, you know, my own concerns going forward, but I'm kind of curious where, where things go. And you know, yeah. there needs to be, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I, th- I think I think this is so fascinating. It's uh, I, I want to kind of turn it a little bit to to ask you these kind of final two questions because this next one's kind of very related. Is you know what are the the issues or topics that you think should be happening in this discourse? What are the things that are kind of facing designers or the design you know profession, if you want to call it that, right mm-hmm. now that need that kind of critical discourse around them? Um, one, I think, and I kind of just mentioned this, but, um, the labels Mm -hmm. that we give what we do, I think we actually need some more flexibility or talking about flexibility Mm -hmm. or just what, (laughs) I I guess I even think like, you know, what is, what is graphic design? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know we could talk even another hour or so just on that. Um, that's one thing. Um, I think we need to talk about how, um, research and practice Mm kind of, come together as well. I think, um, there's, I think as, as much as we focus and I say we very, very broadly, um, this is like in in the classroom, I guess my students and I focusing on, you know, design research methods that we use to inform our work. Um, how does play factor into that? Mm. How does exploration factor into that? And Mm -hmm. to, and this is something my students bring up is how do you balance those things? Um, Right. You know, how do you take this 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 evidence that you've got from maybe it's an observation or an interview or something that you have evidence of, and how do you balance that with your um, gut instincts and right. your playfulness and your your intuition and and decision making as a designer? You know, does is one more important than the other? How do those interplay? And I think it's good to be talking more about those mm-hmm. things. How do you keeping um, keeping that playful aspect? when you're also thinking about um, design research yeah. frameworks and strategies. And we have a lot of serious topics in the world, you know, and um, that's obviously there are, there are heavy topics in the world that everything is, is playful and fun. Um, and so it might just be a sign of the times too, right. you know, just uh, how do you inject that, that playful imaginative human layer into things? Yeah. My last question, this is a, again, this is a question that I ask everybody and, and you've, you've mentioned your mentors and professors throughout this whole mm-hmm. uh, conversation, but I'm, I'm interested in, you know, what are the, the books or who are the, the writers or the critics or the theorists who have kind of influenced you or, you know, even if you were putting together a reading list for someone listening to mm-hmm. this, that's interested in the things we're talking about, who's on that list or what are the yeah. books on that list? That would be a big list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, In terms of, um, okay, I'll just start with some like creative work. So like work that people are doing. Um, I would mention work being done by um, Garnet Hertz. Mm. Um, Some of his work on disobedient electronics and uh, critical making. And uh, 
works by Jonathan Harris. Oh yeah. Which, uh, like network effect and some of his other interfaces. Yeah. So work like that. Um, as far as things I've been reading lately, um, library of the printed web. Oh so yeah. Paul Douglas, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually just read, um, Alice Tremlow's sifting the trash. Oh yeah. I love that as well. Yeah. Very good. Um, gosh, uh, in terms of other sort of writing and practice based things, um, Jeffrey Schnapp, of course, Ann Burdick, Joanne Drucker, uh, Whitney Tredian. Oh, another like kind of practitioner. I don't know yeah. that. Um, you'll know it soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, let's see. I know that uh, as I've worked on various uh, projects and kind of thought about um, classes and coursework and stuff, I've dug into like Lev Manovich, uh, mm. Lawrence Lessig, Marshall McLuhan, yeah. John Cage, uh, Fluxus, oh, I think yeah. is always interesting to kind of dig into. Um, yeah. Electronic book review. So just oh, yeah. anything on that site. It's great. Uh Anyway, I mentioned it bef- mentioned before. Uh, Stephen McCarthy's *The Designer As* book, okay, also yeah. excellent in terms of like critical practices and stuff. So that's a that's a bunch of things. Yeah, that's great. That was a great. <laughs> like, I mean, that kind of stuff. Um, oh, the book. Um, I can always picture it more than I can like remember the title. Um, I read where I am. Mm, that sounds book. familiar. It's all short form um, information culture, design culture short essays fired a lot of kind of what i think about that was great that was a, such a, a good good answer and, and really kind of well-rounded uh jessica thank you so much for this conversation this was so fun and and Thanks really for interesting me. to me so thank you for for being on the podcast thank you for thank you for the invitation it's an honor to be here this episode was recorded on may 16th 2018 our theme music is by andy borgasani we're on twitter and instagram at surface podcast you can find us on apple Podcasts, google play soundcloud and at scratching the surface.fm thanks for listening